John chapter 3, we're going to pick up in the last few verses of that chapter, verse 18, where he writes again, recording the words of Christ as he interacted first with Nicodemus and then all that were surrounding him that evening. And he says, he who believes in him is not judged. He who does not believe has been judged already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. This is the judgment. This is how it works out. This is the truth. This is the settled reality that I want you to understand. Jesus says that the light has come into the world. And men loved the darkness rather than the light, for their deeds were evil. For everyone who does evil hates the light and does not come to the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. But he who practices or does the truth comes to the light so that his deeds may be manifested as having been wrought in God. Let's pray once again. Father, thank you, thank you, thank you for the reality of a Savior, beautiful, blessed indeed, but sacrificial. And oh, when we consider that sacrifice, when we consider the precious price that was paid, Father, we we stand in awe. As we continue to realize what was given, we have to understand and we, we think further and we, we ask questions and we realize, Lord, there must have been such a great and deep and broad debt owed. Beyond our comprehension, Father, you, you shared your great son as the perfect sacrifice that would not only once, but for all time, not in part, but the whole of our sin has been covered by the blood of Jesus Christ. And all who receive that truth are free, are no longer judged. Oh, Father, as we look into this passage, open our eyes that we might see the one that you sent more clearly than we came into this place, understanding, knowing, and seeing him. May the light of the world shine tonight. For it's in your name I pray. Amen. This passage is your note sheet there says, I want to title the high court's opinion. Not the Supreme Court, but the high court. What has God said about our guilt and innocence? Our condemnation and our redemption. And it really doesn't matter what everybody else says about it. It doesn't even matter what I say about it tonight if I deviate from the scriptures. But God's word wants you and me to hear this wonderful message as as beautifully as Molly shared the gospel this afternoon. Jesus himself wants to beautifully and simply and yet persuasively share it with you and me. That heaven knows exactly our state. He knows where we are, who we are, and how we are without any need of anyone else telling him 
what's what. There is no need for witnesses in the court of heaven because God knows and understands everything perfectly. The scripture said in the the book of Jeremiah, the heart is deceitful and desperately wicked. Who can know it? The framing of that verse in Jeremiah really asks the question, can you even know your own heart? And listen, we cannot know our own hearts many times. Have you ever said something or done something and you... And immediately you realize, wow, where did that come from? That's, that's not me. You know, that's, that's, our, that's our response. It's kind of like, well, I don't, I don't know where that came from. That, that's, that's, that's not the kind of person I am. That's, that's, not, that's not the kind of thing I normally do. Well, yes, it did come from you. Let's look again in verse 18. Because Jesus is here explaining very clearly what you and I need to understand. If we go away tonight understanding this truth, I believe it's going to motivate us not only to love the Lord more clearly and more completely, but we're going to share the gospel with more people passionately in the days ahead as we let this truth sink down into our hearts and minds. The scripture says in verse 18, again, Jesus speaking, He who believes in Him is not judged. When you and I begin this lesson together, this message tonight, I want to first of all see our current standing. Our current standing. Before the high court, how are you and I standing? What is our position before the high court in its eyes? Well, he first of all, in verse 18, lays it out. He who believes in him is not judged. The reality is that those of us who come to know Christ, any and everyone who comes to know Christ through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. That is, we come into an eternal relationship with God above through the sacrificial work of Jesus Christ. We believe that he was, in fact, the perfect substitute for our sin, and we accept that. We believe on that. We build our lives on that. We are transformed on a continual basis by that. When you and I believe savingly in the work of Jesus Christ, We're not judged. We are no longer, look with me, if you want to write out to the side of your notes, Romans 8.1. Therefore, there is now no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus. I have no rhythm, I don't dance, but if I could, that's the point that I would dance, okay? Because the reality is that there's no greater joy To say, I am no longer judged. I am free. Let me share with you, that that is a construction in the the language of the New Testament, in the language that Jesus was speaking in, and John writes it down in. It is such that it's not only that he wasn't judged, but the one who believes in him who has come is not judged, period. There's never going to be a time. It's a, it's a sense of which no longer are they ever going to have to stand and give an account for what they could have otherwise been condemned for. <laughs> what does that mean? Not only was I forgiven at the moment that I received Jesus Christ in time, but for all eternity, I am free from judgment by God. Because He 
has placed our sin upon that perfect Lamb of God. And when he does so, he lays it there once and for all. The Calvary was such a pivotal time, a moment, not only in human history, but in eternity. And when God took that weight that had been on us, and he now has placed it on the Lord Jesus as our perfect substitute, and he looks back at us that have received that precious shed blood, he no longer sees the burden of sin overwhelming us. He, never, he no longer sees the stain of sin and the filthiness of our rags of human effort and good deeds. He doesn't see all that. All he sees is the perfect righteousness of Christ. We're no longer judged. He who believes is not judged. Amen? Amen. The Scripture not only tells us that our current standing for those who believe is sure, but let me just be very clear. It is also sure for the others who have not. You know, uh, this week when I was preparing, I read a, uh, came across a comment. There are two types of people in the world, two groups in the world. One group divides people into two groups and the other doesn't. <laughs> God divides people into two classes. Those who have believed and those who have not believed. That's it. Nothing else matters. Nothing else as, is of any consideration for your standing in mind before the high court of heaven. You and I have to come to the point where it's not have I done lip service to this thing called Christianity, but have I entered into a relationship with the Jesus Christ who is the chief cornerstone, the founder, and the fulfillment of this faith called Christianity. Because religion does not change us. It's only through, again, a saving, believing relationship with Jesus Christ. So what happens to those that don't believe? Look with me in verse 18 again. He who does not believe has been judged already. That is, He's already under the condemnation of the high court of heaven. The great high and holy judge of the universe has already decreed our lostness, our corruption, our sin. And apart from our receiving the redemption of Jesus Christ, we stand accountable for all that we have been doing, all that we ever will do, and for the very nature that prompts us to do all those things. God is righteous and holy in his judgment. And he says right here in verse 18, he who does not believe, that is, who doesn't have a, a willing, ready belief and faith in the Lord Jesus, has been judged already. Because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Not because he didn't go to Bellevue Baptist Church or any other Baptist church, or any Catholic church, or any Church of Christ, or any Presbyterian church, or Pentecostal, or Methodist church, or any other religion that you can, a denomination or religion. God is not interested in your attendance. He is interested in your affection. Who and what do you love from your heart? Have you trusted him, believed him for your salvation? Verse 18 makes it clear, our current standing is already known in the court of heaven. You and I are not going to get more lost 
We're not going to go further than we already are from the Savior. Because someone comes, if, in our, if we were non-believers, if we had not yet come to trust Christ, if someone came and shared the gospel with us, that doesn't make us more lost. We were already as lost as we ever will be. We just simply already have been condemned and already stand in condemnation and already are headed to an eternity without him. You say, well, I thought you were going to be encouraging. I am. Because you need to be very clear as a believer tonight. If you are indeed a child, a, a, a son or daughter of the king, you need to be clear about this. You are not going to eternally change the spiritual nature of someone's lostness because you gave them the gospel in, in, in an effort to see them come to know Christ. You're not going to push them further into eternity without Christ because you told them. You're only offering them an opportunity to come near to him and receive him. Sometimes we, well, I don't want to offend anybody. <laughs> Friends, you can't do anything that's going to offend someone if you're doing it out of a love for Christ and a love for their soul. Your words are going to be tainted with that kind of affection for him. That you would never do anything to another human being that you wouldn't want the Lord Jesus to see because you know he already does. You know his love for them is far greater than you could ever love them. That family member who you've always thought, hey, I need to say something. Well, guess what? The holidays are coming up. All of us have individuals. All of us have individuals in our family, whether immediate or extended, that, that we're praying for, that God would change their hearts, that God would do a fresh work in their lives. Friends, you're not going to push them out into darkness. They're already in darkness. Just because you don't say exactly the right thing or they don't accept immediately your, your invitation to the king, listen, you've not done anything but be faithful to what you believe and, more importantly, whom you believe. This evening, you and I need to understand, in the court of heaven, in the high court's opinion, there are only two dispositions of our individual soul's case. We either have believed and trusted in the Lord Jesus, or we have yet to believe, and we are already now, even now, standing in condemnation. The joyful testimony is when you tell folks about the gospel, you give them an opportunity, although they've already been condemned up to that moment, and, and because they have not responded to the gospel, you have that gift, that joy of saying, there is hope for pardon. I've experienced the pardon. I was under condemnation. I was headed to eternity apart from God. And yet the Savior and the light of the world came into my life. That, that illumination of what is truth came to me one day. And I can't help but share it with you. I want you to see the same freedom. Spiritual freedom. The pardon of God. The grace of God. The mercy of God in your life as I've experienced in mine. And the only reason I'm telling you this is because I am, as our pastor says, a satisfied customer. Amen? God has done that work in my life. You and I need to understand that we have already a, a opinion from the high court. And that's opinion we think of, well, you know, you've got one opinion, I've got another. My mother-in-law used to say that opinions are like armpits. Everybody's got a couple and most of them stink. Uh, the, the reality is 
you and I have opinions, but the high court of a God's opinion, the high court of heaven's opinion is a settled fact. It's not going to go under review. It's not going to be overturned. God knows truth. He is truth. The scripture not only says that we need to see in this passage our current standing, but also as you look with me in verse 19 and, and, and read there with me. This is the judgment that light has come into the world. John is writing these words down and he's recording again from what Jesus said. That, light, that the light has come into the world and men love the darkness rather than the light for their deeds were evil. Now, let me just share with you this. First of all, this first passage of, of verse 19. This is the judgment that the light has come into the world. What is he talking about? Jesus is referring to himself. Now, there have been, uh, how to say, candlelights from the dawn of time. There had been messages given and, and illumination continued to progressively expand throughout the Old Testament as history unfolded through God's chosen people and the promise of the Savior that would come. There were more and more prophecies about his coming and what he would be like. And now, though they were in shadows and though they understood in part, Jesus Christ had come onto the scene. He had not only been born of a virgin and been raised and without sin in his life, he, he had never been uh, uh, had a wrong thought. He had never said an unkind word. He never had done a wrong deed. And now, as that perfect prepared lamb, he comes public. And he's starting off, and here in chapter 3, we find John telling us, listen, the light has already, it's not coming into the world. It's not still to arrive. Jesus is saying of himself, the light has come into the world. Now, again, John's chronology of events is different because he's trying to persuade us to believe. He, he does order things a little differently as far as the events of the of the gospel that he writes than the Matthew, Mark, and Luke uh, accounts. But again, nothing that would cause us, oh, you can't believe John. You can believe John. Because why? Because he's quoting here, Jesus is the light who's coming into the world. He's the one light in the sense of illuminating us to what is true, what is veritable, what is real. We often play games in the dark. We want to cover up and we want to act like it's not really what we know it to be in our hearts. We, we, <laughs> we often look at others who are walking in the darkness and compare ourselves to them instead of looking at the one who is the light of the world and asking, does my life look like his? And you can make yourself feel good or you can make yourself feel less bad in that kind of comparison. We've all done it. We've all, we're all susceptible to it. But the reality is that you and me, you and I, need to see this. That we are lost apart from Christ. And it's only because the light of the gospel came into our life, our understanding at some point that we have been graced with the opportunity to receive Christ. And oh, what grace that is. Oh, the grace that 
Drew salvation's plan. Oh, the grace that brought it down to man. This afternoon, we need to see, first and foremost, when we see our current standing, we also need to see our corrupt sentiment. Our corrupt that's the a sentiment, a feeling, how we, how we view, how we feel toward something. Well, first of all, we see in verse 19, the light has come, but also read with me in verse 19. And men love the darkness rather than the light. It doesn't say men loved darkness more than the light. It says men loved darkness rather than the light. You and I want to often put ourselves or other people or, or the world wants to, to kind of view their standing before whatever deity they or, or, or higher power that they conceive as if, you know, well, I, I probably don't love God the way I need to, but I still love him. No. Again, the one who knows everything, the one who is truth, incarnate, says of men who are unbelieving, you don't love darkness simply a little more than you love the light. You don't love the light at all. You love, it in, you love the darkness instead of or rather than the light. You're not being honest with yourself. You don't know your own heart, but I know your heart. And you want to you make it a, 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 a distinction of, of extents that you're a little less this or a little more that. No, no, no. It's either or. When we are unbelievers, when we have not yet come to know the Christ as our Savior and Lord, let me share with you, and anyone you know, they're not just, well, they just don't think about spiritual things as much as I do. No, they don't think of spiritual things at all. They're not interested. Why? Well, let's look. Let's find out. Verse 19. Why do men have this kind of preference? This kind of, And oh, by the way, we love verse 16 of chapter 3. For God so loved God that agape love. The same root verb is used here. Men agapao. Darkness. The same kind of unfettered, unconditional, unrelenting. I just, I just love people because I'm God. I, you're going you're gonna to be loved whether you like it or not, you know. Because that's my nature. I just I can't act against my nature. Men love darkness because that's their nature. And he says, the reason and the and the manner in which we can assure that that's the case, that men love darkness rather than the light. Look with me in verse nineteen. For their deeds were evil. The idea, in fact, in numerous, uh, not all, because we have it here, and these are substantive, these are reliable texts that our translations are built on, but not all translations that we use to uh, make English 
uh, or any other language translation of the Bible include the word evil, but what it is is deeds. You say, why is that important? Well, it's not important as far as the, the, the tenor of the message, but what it is saying to us is that evil deeds, deeds themselves are worthless. They are without merit. They have no value. Do you see that in people's lives that are apart from Christ? They are running hard and fully. They have no, no end to their love for the darkness, love for the world, world for the, love for the things of this world. It's like you cannot even reason with them, but hey, is that really? Oh, no, but if I do just a little more, I'll be satisfied. <laughs> Someone that told me one time, man in his middle age, I was a little young, younger, young pastor right out of seminary, and he said, Mike, he said, I, I, I want you and Wendy to know how much we appreciate y'all being our pastor and leading our church and, and, and your family. We just love you. And Marybrook was a little, little girl and born there in that same church. Or she came along and she wasn't born in the church. Uh, we had a hospital, uh, <laughs> praise the Lord, uh, for me and for Wendy. But, uh, uh, but she was born during that. And the guy said, you know, we love y'all, appreciate you so much. Uh, he said, you know, he said, the Lord got and started telling me his testimony a little further. And he said, uh, I got to the time when it's probably been said by other people, but it really fit my life. I got to the top of the ladder and realized it was leaning against the wrong wall. The world doesn't even have time to assess, is this where I want to be? Is this going to produce what I want it to produce? Is this going to satisfy my soul? They don't even ask you. Why? Because they love it completely. They unabashedly, un, unrestrained, unassessed. They just love the darkness. And how do we know that? Because their deeds, their useless, worthless, evil, rebellious, yes, all of that's included, deeds, were habitually, they, the verb there, were evil, it has the idea of habitually, continuously, repeatedly, evil. Dr. Rogers used to say it this way, didn't he? What's in the well will come up in the bucket. Now he said a lot of good things. Some of them he borrowed and made his own. Some of them he made up his own self and he's, he can turn a phrase as well as anybody I know. But the reality is there's truth in that statement. What is inside a man will be manifest in a man's actions, in his words, in his choices, in his thoughts, in his responses. And you and I need to be very clear. Men who believe what's in the well will come up in the bucket. Men who do not believe what's in the well will come up in the bucket. It's not a matter of outward show and, and, and a lot of glints and glamour and covering up and hiding from what's real. People, I had a conversation with a man today. He's making some terrible choices. He's hurting people that love him dearly and he says he loves and I said you're at a crossroads in fact it's it's funny that you were talking to me he said why is it funny because we weren't being very funny right then I said well maybe strange ironic is a better word you see my name is <laughs> my name is Mike Crouch he said yeah I know that I said my family name comes from a term meaning crossroads. You've come to a crossroads, sir. 
And it's not about me, but it's about the truth that I'm going to tell you, and this is it. You have one of two choices, and I laid it out for him. I said, but you get to decide. God gave you that right, but let me assure you, what you choose, you'll choose freely. God will give you that right, yes, but you don't choose the consequences. And the consequences you've been choosing, excuse me, the choices you've been making and the consequences you have been experiencing go hand in hand. The reason you came to me because of your frustration was because of what you've been experiencing that you didn't want to experience. Well, I'm telling you, this is not hard. This is not rocket science. You've been making bad choices and receiving bad consequences. And you're wondering why you're receiving bad consequences? It's not hard. You say, well, did that offend him? Well, like the evangelist of old said, if that rubs the cat the wrong way, the cat can run, turn around and it'll be the right way. I wasn't going to do any favors for him for saying, oh, your dark choices and your evil habits and what you're doing and what you're continuing to do is, is breeding discontent and heartache among those people that want to love you and, and, and are struggling. You and I need to understand. Let, let, let me just read this to you. J.C. Ryle, a Bible commentator of some note, days gone by, said this, Habits have deep roots. Once sin is allowed to settle in your heart, it will not be turned out at your bidding. Custom becomes second nature, and its chains are not easily broken. I'm not saying we cannot change by the grace and mercy and power of Christ. Absolutely, we can change. But don't think that you can make continually bad choices and it'll get easier when you decide you want to do something different. It's going to get harder. Why? Because we rub a rut in our lives and it becomes a deep ditch. And if not turned away from, it may well be our grave. You and I need to understand those that are in Christ, that are believers, are enjoying his lack, his, his removal of judgment, if you will, and those that are continually seeking the darkness are making that obvious disconnect, that lack of relationship with God clear because their deeds are habitually evil. You don't have to be judgmental. You don't have to be hard. Or, In fact, I'm, I kind of, I think a minute ago, came off more how to say, stoic or harsh or direct with the fellow that I was talking to. But before he left that conversation, I, I looked at him and said, listen, I know we've talked very straightforwardly about some things because you, you came in, you started laying it out. I mean, it, there was no fluff, there was no, hey, how are you doing, how's the family, nothing like that. He went right to the point and started telling me what was going on. I said, I wanted to respect. That's the way you wanted to communicate. That's the way I'm communicating directly with you as well. But here's the deal. It breaks my heart to have to tell you these things. Not that I don't want to tell you because it's the most loving thing that I can do is to tell you the truth. But I want to tell you I hurt for you and those that you love because of what you're going through. I, want, I know you've got to make a hard choice. And, and breaking away from where you've been and where you want to be, it may take some time. It may t it's going to take a long time to restore what's been broken as a result of your 
choices. But let me just tell you this, it's possible by Christ. And not only by Christ, but, but there's, a, there's a whole world of people that would joyfully, gladly, and sacrificially come alongside of you and help you. Let me just share with you, friends, you and I need to realize that, yes, we have a current standing. We're either believers or we're not. But the Scripture also tells us that we have that because we were born sinners. We have a corrupt, we have a, we have a bent that loves the darkness, not alongside of, but in spite of, in contrast to, rather than the light. And we show it because our deeds are habitually evil. That's our corrupt sentiment. Finally, we're going to finish the constant seeking. Our constant seeking. Look at me in verse 21 and 21. He, he compares in 20 the one who is still in darkness and does evil with the one who practices the truth. Verse 20, he says, For everyone who does evil hates the light and does not come to the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. Wicked men hate the light. And apart from Christ, all of us are wicked. You and I need to ask ourselves, have, have, have you ever had an opportunity? How many of you have raised your children? They're grown, you know, maybe they're on their own, maybe they've come back home with more with them, that kind of thing. When they were very young, did you teach your children, now here, son, I want to tell you, here's how you steal. Or here's how you are able to pull off a lie. No. How many of you felt like, oh, I did the exact opposite. I had one. Oh, that one really made me pay for my raising. That, you know, I, looking back, that one, the reason it was so tough is they, they, they're just like me. But I had not to teach them how to steal or how to lie. I had to tell them, listen, God does not want you to take that thing that doesn't belong to you. God does not want you to tell or say something or allow something to be understood that is bare false witness that isn't absolutely true. And we did that over and over and over again. And we did that over and over and over again. And I say, yeah, that's what it is. That's what parenting is in practical terms. But guess why that has to be that way? Because your children and my child and now my grandchildren, guess what? They were born with a congenital defect called sin that I passed on to my child and you passed on to your children. We have to bend them back toward the truth. We have to inform them early on of the truth. We, and that's what we're supposed to do, not only with our own children at, a, at that tender age, so that, you know, as they say, it's easier to bend the, the twig than it is to the, bend the mighty oak. <laughs> Let me tell you, folks, we've got people all across our world today, all across our city, who were never bent Never taught the truth. Why? Look with me again in verse 20.
For everyone who does evil hates the light. Children don't want to be told no. They like to say no, but they don't want to be told no. Why? Because apart from the grace of God, all of us are selfish little children, ready to throw a temper tantrum at the next moment. Oh, I'm not getting my way. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make an issue of this. Well, I'm about to give them a piece of my mind. Well, can you spare that much? I can't. For everyone who does evil hates the light and does not come to the light. That is, they're, they're, not, just, they're not just antagonistic toward the light hateful toward the light, have animosity toward the light, they avoid the light. Why does more crime take place at night than it does in the daytime? Because men hate the light and the darkness covers their sin. It's true physically, it's true spiritually. Look with me again. It says in verse, nine, uh, verse 20, excuse me, for fear that his deeds will be exposed. Now, here's an interesting point about the way Jesus speaks and John records his words. The obvious reading of red letters on white paper says they're, they're fearful that they'll be found out, and that's true. But read carefully, it's they fear that, that or he fears, the, the one who does evil, fears that his deeds, not just him, but his deeds will be exposed. When you read carefully, and, and again, get back to the language of the New Testament, you find that what it means is the exposed or, or laid bare to, to view is, a, again, a court term. We're talking about the high court's opinion about our lives, whether saved and believing or lost and unbelieving, in darkness or in the light. And what it means is that his deeds that he loves committing, that he pursues, that he avoids the light in order to continue committing and continue to be involved in, if the light hits on him or what he's doing, his deeds will be exposed. That is, his deeds that he knows are wrong but doesn't want them open for scrutiny in the high court's opinion under the high, high court's view because he knows he's worthy of condemnation. Just for a moment, I want you to take your Bibles and turn to Romans 1.20. Chapter 1 of Romans. And verse 20 says this. For since the creation of the world, his, his, that is God's invisible attributes, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made. That is, God has revealed himself that there is a God who created the world, that there is an a, a intelligent designer, whether you're, whether, from dawn of creation, he's saying. Whether you're a Hebrew of Hebrews or whether you're a follower of Christ or whether you're not any of those two things and something far different or whether you don't think there's anything spiritual at all, you're a secularist. 
God's Word says, For since the creation of the world, His invisible attributes, His eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made. That is, the very nature that we want to study or we want to enjoy, the, the natural world, gives testimony that there's a God above. Well, if there's a God above, then every man must be accountable as the creator of their lives. They're accountable. They're held accountable. The, the logic is there. In every human being. And he says, so they are without excuse. They're without excuse, gentlemen. Ladies, people who do not know Christ, it's not because they don't know any truth. It's because they regard as unimportant, irrelevant, or something they just refuse to take account of. And God says, that may well be your approach now, but in eternity, when you stand before the high court of heaven for one last disposition you're without excuse you're without hope if you wind up leaving this world it, the Bible says in Hebrews it's appointed man once to die and then the judgment when you and I die and breathe our last breath and then we're awake before him instantly it's not then that we get to go well I, I'd, like to, I'd like to have a little more uh, time to review the case you know, the perception or the presentation that you gave, I, I didn't really understand it before, but now I do. No, that's not going to happen. It's a point of man wants to die and then the judgment. Verse 21 finishes. But he who practices, that is, he who does, just as surely as the, the lost or unbelieving does evil, this one does truth. Just, But he who practices the truth or does the truth comes to the light. That is, he's always coming closer. There's a pursuit in his heart for the light. Why? Why would we want to expose ourselves to the one who is the light, who is the truth of the ages and, and, and the, the God of all eternity? Why would we want to do that? So that his deeds may be manifested, that is, made known. The, the evil one doesn't want his, his deeds made known or exposed this one does want his deeds exposed why because he thinks he's so good and better than everybody no 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 as having been wrought in god the constant desire of the believing one is to come further and further into light lord i want to be so transparent before you you can look me up down sideways top bottom Side to side, north, south, east, west. It doesn't matter how you want to look at me. Lord, I want you to look at me and say, eventually, I know it's going to be, yes, you know, biblically, we'll be like him when we see him. I understand that it's not going to happen this side of eternity. But our desire is, Lord, I may not be a flawless diamond, but if I can just be a useful, clear picture of your grace and your truth, Lord, let it be. If there's something in me that's not like you, I want it to be. I want you to change me because I want people to look at my life and say, he's just like me. He's just, she's just like me. But something has changed them. What is it? It's wrought in God. God's heart for them was received. His truth was accepted and affirmed, applied to their lives. And now that transforming work is a continual work. Why? Because they, instead of avoiding the light all the time, they are constantly coming to the light so that the light can expose where they're not like Christ and they can see it transformed. They can see it being done not only once at the moment of salvation or, or fully when we see them face to face, but all along life's pathway there is continual growth. 
that God continues to reshape us, transform us, and make us clear reflections of him who is the light.